And it's like, the yes, like there are jobs <laughs> that don't require a college degree. I, I turned my uh, recording on, but okay. like, um, yeah, there are jobs that don't require a college degree that are from trade school that, that can make more money than, than most people with college degrees. But like, while that's an option, there's a limited number of those jobs, right? Like you can't br- like you can't break into Titan. Everyone in the country can't go learn titanium welding and then get into it because there just isn't enough of an application for that. Right. Well, and there's a whole thing that's been going around recently as well, where uh, people have been mentioning that certain fields like plumbing, like certain types of uh, welding have been artificially like the job the application pool, the applicant pool for the job field has been artificially inflated. There's still good jobs where you can still make good money, but the promises of like the wages and the standard of living that they're going to offer are based on like 1980s and 1990s estimates that people still assume are true. And it's like, well, the the common wisdom has been like, if you want to make good money and you don't want to have to take out, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars in loans and get a master's degree, then you go learn how to be a welder or a plumber or whatever. Well, that's been the prevailing knowledge for three decades now. Right. And we have a lot of plumbers and welders and the people who, um, you know, run the big plumbing and welding companies and firms and stuff are very, very pleased with that because it means they can drive the wages of these workers down. Uh, I actually saw the same thing. I expressed in interest in getting into locksmithing and I did a little digging uh, locksmithing not only suffers from the problem of an artificially inflated employee pool but um, since it's also got a relatively low bar to entry uh, it was also really easy to consolidate and there's basically mm. like two gigantic MLM style locksmithing companies through which all other locksmithing companies operate so you might have oh. your local locksmith like Ted's locksmithing and you call them, uh, the reason that they're like there and set up is because they're actually backed by, I don't remember the name of the company, but it's just like some very nondescript, uh, you know, corporate name, uh, that actually has a stranglehold on the locksmithing industry. And those locksmiths don't make great money and they still have to charge you out the fucking asshole just to let you into your car or your house or whatever. Yeah. Well, and it all reminds me so much of like the whole, just learn to code thing right because it's like on the one hand sure like there's nothing wrong if folks want to become a programmer of like going out and learning and like getting some certifications and going to do that but like it's the same thing as with the micro assholes where they're like couching this in this sort of like working class empowerment narrative while concealing the fact that both the whole sweat pledge go to trade school instead of college shit, as well as like the learn to code stuff is exactly what you were talking about. That it's like the funding behind all that is coming from the industries that don't like paying the high salaries they're currently paying. And they want to inflate those employee pools so they can drive wages down. (laughs) Right. Exactly. Yeah. we see that everywhere. And it also comes with like a decreased quality of service for the consumers and stuff too. You know, they don't want to, uh, pay out the asshole for shitty service and the employees have no incentive to actually provide better service. If like at the end of the day, there's still some faceless corporation that's like, well, your raise doesn't even keep up with inflation this year. You're lucky to get one. Yeah. Uh, Which is some fucking bullshit. Yeah. I think it just highlights how like whichever one of those things that you want to do, if your field isn't unionized, get it unionized. That's that's the only way to protect those, you know, good wages and benefits. 
that's exactly fucking right. Uh, I've, I've often thought about what it would be like to try and unionize my current workplace where I power wash garbage trucks. And so many of the guys that work for the company already do their own power washing on the side in the Mm. off season, in the tourist season that I've been starting to think it might almost be easier to just start a co-op that's totally independent of the previous workplace. Uh, and you know, I've floated it past a couple of the guys so far, so we'll see if anyone bites. That would be cool. Yeah. But speaking of things that would be cool, welcome to Work Stoppage, everybody. It's just uh, me and Dan for your episode this week, but there's a little asterisk next to your episode for this week, because if everything goes according to plan, we might have some extra good content for you on the very near horizon. Uh, We're entirely listener supported. So if you throw us a buck on Patreon, thank you so much. If you don't, no big deal. Uh, Get in the Discord, though. What are you doing, you fool? And please leave (laughs) us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts if you can, or just write it on a scroll, toss it in a bottle, and throw it in the sea. Uh, (laughs) For our first story today, it's Amazon, folks. I'm not going to bury the lead on this one. We're talking about Amazon for the umpteenth time. Uh, And this is because the NLR... Yes, the NLRB has done something really, really cool. They've stepped in and they've said, hey, that uh, that re-election for the Bessemer Union Drive that everyone realizes obviously should take place, uh, we're going to force Amazon to let that happen. Yeah. So, like, we're not going to, you know, spend too much time on the details of this because there was that report back in August that came Mm -hmm. out that we talked about that foreshadowed this where one of the NLRB officials came out with a like pre-ruling basically okay. uh, discussing how they went over the case. And we're just like, yeah, this is pretty fucked. Like mm-hmm. uh, we're probably going to order a new election, but we got to go through the whole official process, which is why, you know, there's now been a four month delay from that until now we got the official ruling, but uh, yeah. So it, it pretty much the, the board's final ruling came out basically in line with that preliminary stuff from the the official there, just like that preliminary report, this centered primarily around Amazon's illegal provision of a mailbox on their own property surrounded by their own surveillance cameras and encouraging workers to use that to mail their ballots, which gave the impression. And actually I'll just quote here from the, The ruling where they said in the decision on Monday, the labor board's regional director for the Atlanta region said that, quote, Amazon gave a strong impression that it controlled the process, end quote, by arranging the installation of the box. And they said, quote, this dangerous and improper message to employees destroys the trust in the board's processes and the credibility of the election results. Uh, The director, Lisa Y. Henderson, concluded. Yeah, so. which I mean, it's like just obviously true. Uh, and, and when we were covering the Bessemer Union Drive originally, I remember when we first heard about the uh, the mailbox in question here. And I thought, well, you know, this this could easily be the thing that makes it so that Amazon uh, has to allow the union to redo this, because I think this is just a little bit too on its face. Uh, fucked up. And it's cool to see that, like reiterated a couple times. It's like that that's the sticking point. It's like. 
you know, this is uh, way beyond the line, but also it kind of worries me because it makes me think like if Amazon just had been a little slicker and not right. done this stupid, stupid thing that cost them this, uh, they might have gotten away with all of this shit and more. And uh, I do see that tied into um, everything that's going on with Amazon. We're also talking about uh, Christian what's his name? Christian Smalls. Yeah. Christian Smalls who was fired. He was actually working in a New York facility, right? Yeah. On JFK eight, the, the Staten Island facility that we've talked about a couple times where the ALU has been organizing. Right. So the, uh, this past week, the New York attorney general filed a motion to request an injunction to force a third party monitor to ensure Amazon follows COVID safety protocols to keep its workers safe. And as part of this motion, the AG is also requesting that in the injunction, uh, the immediate reinstatement of Christian Smalls, which is pretty cool. I just went and gave uh, Christian a follow on Twitter. He seems like a pretty cool guy. The motion also seeks the appointment of a monitor to oversee the implementation of key safety. So they're going to make them uh, change the way they do product productivity monitoring policies to permit time for cleaning hygiene and social distancing. They're going to require them to adopt policies for adequate cleaning and disinfection after infected workers have been present in the facility. And they're going to require them to institute proper COVID-19 contact tracing protocols. So uh, that's a pretty good little laundry list of stuff. Um, but like, what's the, what's the overall level of impact that this is going to have on like Amazon's, uh, union busting and otherwise anti-worker policies? Yeah, no, that's the thing. And kind of like to what you were saying though, about like some of the issues with the, you know, the, the reelection ruling, like it's a bit frustrating when I actually was like reading through what they were saying in the ruling that I'm glad, like, yes, I'm glad they, they ordered the reelection, but like. They focus so much on the mailbox to the point where it was almost as them saying, if you hadn't done the mailbox like, chicanery, right. we wouldn't have ordered a re like they 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 basically declined to accept the union's objection to the you know constant use of captive audience meetings, the constant distribution of vote no literature, mm-hmm. the like tacit um collection of basically polling of workers by handing out vote no stuff and recording who took it. Uh, so they, they're still essentially rubber stamping most classic union busting tactics and just saying you guys went a little too far with this mailbox. Maybe don't right. do that next time. Yeah. Don't be quite so obvious, uh, and make us yell, you know, swipe or no swiping at you. <laughs> right. Uh, again, next time. Right. And, and the COVID stuff for the the Staten Island facility that that this is coming out of yeah, the New York Attorney General's office, right? Obviously, just genuinely good that that they're trying to get that uh, order to reinstate Christian Smalls. That's good by itself. the The COVID res- stuff. I this is another one of those things where I'm like, I appreciate the spirit of this ruling, but I'm really, I really don't think it goes far enough because, like. It's, they're like, oh, you need to make sure that when you have an infected employee in the workplace that you are doing proper disinfection and proper, you know, uh, social distancing, which is all right. good. But like this comes on the heels of a new report from the Strategic Organizing Center, which found that Amazon concealed at least 20,000 cases of COVID amongst its employees. And while, while reporting only... 27 workplace-related COVID infections for the entirety of 2020. 27? 
Yeah, for like, the, all of nation, Amazon. This is nationwide. nationwide. This is worldwide. <laughs> Or nationwide. Uh, I, well, it's just nationwide because okay. they don't have you know they don't have to report in other countries. But. Sure, sure, sure. But that's uh, that's insane. Twenty six cases. So they had the same COVID rate as like uh, Glen, a town just south of here, with maybe a <laughs> yeah. hundred people in it. Yeah, the, their argument was <laughs> essentially that okay, well, more than twenty seven of our employees got COVID, but all of those other employees, right. they got it somewhere else. They, they were, didn't get it at the facility that they spend eight to 12 to 14 hours a day, right. you know, surrounded by other people crammed into the same area with not given enough time to even, you know, go use the bathroom. They definitely right, right. didn't get COVID that's, there. That's not a worker with COVID. That's someone who independently contracted COVID. You yeah, see what this, I did there? They, they got COVID <laughs> as a pre-existing condition. Oh, Jesus Christ. All right. But, well, Speaking of pre-existing conditions, I have one. Uh, It's a total ignorance of all things sports. (laughs) I'm completely out of my depth. I kind of like hockey, but I barely know any of the players' names, much less any of the statistical details. So in the spirit of that, why don't you tell me a little bit about this lockout (laughs) we're seeing in Major League Baseball? Yeah, so when I put this story in here, I figured neither of my co-hosts were going to have any interest in it. Um, sure. Oh, I, and, well. and, and I imagine that it probably applies to a half of our listenership. So to those of you who are not sports ball fans, I apologize. You can skip this segment. Well, I mean, or don't. I, I'm not a big fan of sports ball and its, its variants around the world in general, but I do like it when people in an extremely visible industry do labor actions. I think that that's right. really important and, and it, that hits home with me and that's why i put it in here because like i'm not even a huge baseball fan i've always been more of a football or hockey guy but one of the most visible spots as you were alluding to Mm -hmm. that folks get to actually see union activity is in sports because all of the major sports leagues have their own various unions for the players and they have their ups and downs. Some of them are stronger. Some of them are weaker. Mm -hmm. Uh, Like for instance, the NFLPA specifically is probably the weakest of the major four. They are usually not very uh, good at organizing to get the players their fair share. Um, But so this story is, is, you know, specifically coming out of the MLB where we haven't actually had a work stoppage since the nineties. So this is, this is a big change. There's been, uh, 26 years of labor peace. So there hasn't actually been a like right in your face, uh, conflict between the workers and the employers (laughs) in major league baseball for folks to talk about with their, you know, boomer parents, right. Which is one of the main reasons I bring this up because it's, this is actually one of the spots that I've tried to use with talking with, you know, other workers about encouraging like why unions are good because you'll sometimes get people who will take the reactionary sports radio, uh, talking point of, Oh man, like these people get paid millions of dollars to play a children's game. I can't believe they would, you know, <laughs> not be so grateful to the owners, but I, a I children's found game. That, Are they playing professional hopscotch out here? Like what's <laughs> right. the deal? Like, <laughs> I, I, I find that, you know, while it may be kind of difficult on totally understandably for most workers to relate to somebody making five, 10, $20 million a year sure. uh, to, to play baseball. I, it doesn't usually in my, in, in my experience take that much to turn that argument on its head and say, no, look, I get it, man. Like they get paid a crazy amount of money, but why should the owners yeah. 
get so much of that to just sit there and do nothing. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's a super compelling point, Dan. Cause it's like, I've, I've, never heard people hem and haw quite as much in my life as I've heard sports fans hem and haw about player salaries. And it's like, there's a million, probably close to an actual million other people in the world whose, (laughs) whose decisions and salaries more directly influence your life than whether or not your favorite, uh, you know, hit a ball with a bat guy is making two mil or three mil. Uh, a million dollars is, is a rounding error in some of these billionaires fortunes and some of these corporate empires. So, uh, and not least of all the sports ones directly. I mean, I would, my instinct was to be like, Oh, you don't like it when, uh, you know, I don't know any sports players name, so I'll just make one up. Roger Hutchinson, uh, makes $9.6 million, but you don't give a shit when Elon Musk is receiving, you know, right. in, in a completely untraceable amount of money from thousands of different sources. You don't care about that, but it's even easier to be like, okay, well, let, like, let's take a look at the NFL commissioner. Let's take a look at these, these team owners and how much money they're making off this shit, uh, on the basis of already being rich enough to buy an NFL team, by the way. Right, <laughs> right, exactly. Well, cause that's that's the thing is, is I feel like it can be a good intro into sure. to talking to people about unionizing their own workplace because yeah, you'll get those knee jerk reactions, but then it's usually pretty simple to be like, look, the MLB has for the most part, I mean, there's a, there's a ton of other staff and they deserve to be better paid for sure. But like for the visible part to most people, you mm-hmm. have the players and the owners. And so it's, it's usually pretty easy to point out to people. It's like, yeah, I get it. They're making a ton of money, but if they don't get the money, the folks that are actually out there like playing the game that you're mm-hmm. rooting for, that, that you like watching that make it fun to watch, that's just going to go into the pockets of some asshole like Jerry Jones, right? who the owner of the Dallas Cowboys. And he's just up there sitting up in his box, hooting and hollering and being incredibly racist. Why does that guy, why should that guy get the money? He's not doing shit. He's not out there, you know, hitting the ball or anything. So, and, and you can go from there to pointing out, it's like, you know what? There's not that big of a difference between our workplace here at CVS or whatever, like, whatever, like, why should the owners of this company in the fucking boardroom, like sitting up there, not doing shit, just deciding which one of their stores that they want to close and then plant a fake story in local media about shoplifting rings for the reason why they closed it. Like, why should those people get all this money when, you know, the people who are actually doing all the work and actually making everything like are only getting maybe 1250 an hour. So yeah, right. It's like, yeah, Marty, I I do agree that a a $9.6 million two year contract is outrageous for a pinch hitter. Uh, But don't you own like nine Cinnabon franchises? (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) no, exactly. And so, so this story, like specifically, um, so the MLB right now, because of this, the, the CBA, the collective bargaining agreement, which serves as basically the union contract between the major league baseball players association and the league itself has expired after the end of the most recent season. Um, so there have been ongoing negotiations between the MLBPA and the owners trying to negotiate on what the next, you know, collective uh, contract was going to be, right. but they were at loggerheads over some specifics. Uh, th- some of the stuff is, is like <laughs> literally inside baseball. Um, and it's, <laughs> it's the sort of stuff that isn't really germane to, to our normal labor discussions about like, you know, uh, whether there's going to be a DH in the NL now that doesn't really apply right, to other right. workplaces, but specifically as usual as it, what, what's at the, you know, core of this, this discussion, because, and unfortunately like 
ESPN and MLB.com, other outlets will focus on that. The stuff that's like related to changes to how the game works and, and right. try and elevate that as the reason, you know, behind the, the, Oh, this is all they're arguing about. This is stupid. Like who cares? Yeah. But they, they'd add you, another strikeout to the game. If, uh, it, if <laughs> right. they could avoid playing, paying the players more, you know? <laughs> like, yeah. And cause that's the thing is every one of these like, uh, conflicts between the players and the owners, every single time ultimately comes down to player compensation and players ability to control like how they interact in the workplace. It's like there's all this other stuff that gets elevated in the sports media to try and distract from that. But ultimately it comes down to players demanding to be paid for their labor. Yes. I mean, like you can see this play out in the competing statements from the MLB and the MLBPA where the MLB is like, despite the league's best efforts to make a deal with the players association, we were unable to extend our 26 year long history of labor peace and come to an agreement with the blah, 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 blah. And then the MLBPA is like, it was the owner's choice, plain and simple, specifically calculated to pressure players into relinquishing rights and benefits and abandoning good faith bargaining proposals that will benefit not just players but the game and industry as a whole these tactics are not new we have been here before uh, and players have risen to the occasion time and time again guided by a solidarity that has been forged over generations we will do so again here which is like i mean that's just saying it right out there right like that's the long and short of the kind of coverage we do all the time which is like this is not new this is not localized to your particular industry this is like a this is essentially uh, what class war is when it's already being waged on you. Right. Like, yeah. And so like the way that the, the compensation stuff specifically tends to play out with regards to the MLB is they're looking at two things primarily, which is the way that the league restricts free agency, which is the ability of the players to like, independently negotiate with different teams and get the best deal for themselves. And of course the league wants to put in as many ways to allow teams to have more control over players as possible to suppress salaries. And the other thing is, is that unlike the other major sports leagues in the U S the MLB doesn't have a salary cap, which salary caps are, are are, uh, as somebody who used to be a strong advocate of them before Mm -hmm. I became a Marxist. um, They are often put portrayed as being necessary for teams to preserve competitive balance. Sure. Because their argument is, well, if we don't have a salary cap, then the richest teams will just be able to outspend all the other ones, which, you know, in cases of leagues like the, the English premier league in, in for soccer is, that's absolutely true. And right. in the MLB, there's a reason that the Yankees have like 26 rings and it's because they're the richest team. But the problem with that is, is that that's why the team should be municipally owned. That's not why you should right. artificially suppress player salaries. And so, well, and I mean, artificially suppressing player salaries in this case is just expanding the salaries of the player right. of the team owners and of all of the management and everything which is like ridiculous that it's like, Oh yeah, we're, we're going for equity between the teams to make the game fair. And that's why, you know, these, this $9.6 million that I was going to pay all of these different players now just goes right into, you know, daddy Jones's uh, pockets. Right. Right. Exactly. But so like the MLB has been progressively issuing what's essentially a shadow salary cap called the competitive balance tax where beyond Mm. a certain level of salary spending there's a tax 
on team spending. And by making that like more and more harsh, it essentially ends up functioning as a salary cap and suppressing player salaries. And so right. that's like one of the major things that the MLB is PA is pushing back on. And so that's like arguably maybe the single largest like uh, split between the players and the owners. And, and so, yeah, as always, the owners are rolling out there. Well, we have to preserve competitive balance, you know, in a right. league where like half the teams just try to tank because they can make more money that way. Yeah. Uh, but the, the whole balance thing plays really well to the fans. It's like you said, oh, like yeah. if two people on ESPN get in an, in an argument over which salary cap will balance the game the best, the whole conversation is already inside of a productive box for the team yep. owners and all the administrators and everything. Yeah. And, and the players association I think has been doing a decent, I mean, I don't, I don't follow a ton of MLB stuff. So like I I can't, you know, speak for the overall discourse around this, but like, I do think the players association has been doing a decent job of pointing out that like the whole competitive balance thing is largely a ruse that is basically not trying to prevent an oligarchy of teams because the owners have don't care about doing that. They just care about making the most money and that it is purely to artificially lower the percentage of league revenues paid to the players. And so this is one of those things where uh, even if you don't give two shits about baseball, which I totally get, I honestly think it's pretty boring, but like this is a spot where if you have, you know, maybe older relatives or slightly, or maybe just not less like politically engaged relatives, friends, right. coworkers who are big sports fans. This I think can be a good way to, you know, introduce topics about organized labor and like bringing up all the stuff that we talk about every day where they may not necessarily find it the easiest for whatever reason if you try to bring up you know say the john deere strike or the kellogg strike or strike in another industry that they'd never pay attention to or whatever but if they watch you know the red Sox or the tigers or the giants or the yankees or whatever all the time and that's their like big thing which is a lot of people in this country like it's you know one of the ways sports is used to distract away away from other things well we can turn that on its head during these moments to be like hey look at this labor issue and i actually think that the way the media is talking about it's kind of bullshit and here's why and like you can translate that Sometimes, not always, but I, I think that it can be a really good way to translate that into talking about the conditions at your job and why it's bullshit that your boss sits on his ass and doesn't do any fucking work and makes more money than you. Right, exactly. Well, and it's accessible to people. I think you're exactly right. Like if somebody's not, uh, we talk a lot about like how to reach out to people who aren't necessarily like a communist already, but right. <laughs> the broader point is like there, there are people out there who might not even respond to the word communism at all because politically they just see themselves as i don't care you know and and slash a not available not applicable (laughs) like and um sports are one of the places where like the the politics of everything get folded right back into the actual like conditions on the field like you right the, the material conditions eventually percolate to the point of like meaningfulness to the average fan yeah and and it's funny because you'll find people who will like totally understandably who are like like I can't follow any of that political nonsense. It's too crazy. There's too many insane personalities. There's too much of this like detailed bullshit, but then they'll know like the batting averages for 150 different players. And so it's like, you just got (laughs) to find where folks passion is. And like, 
if you can get in with labor issues on there, I think it strikes a good opportunity. So like for, sure. for now, the there's a lockout caused by this where the owners have basically said, fuck you, we're done organizing, uh, we're done uh, negotiating with you. And so there are about three months now between now and when the start of spring training would, you know, start to get into play around in March timeframe. So it, it's very possible that there will be negotiations between the MLBPA and MLB between now and then that, and this lockout will end up just being relatively low key, but you know, it does seem like the two sides are kind of far apart. And so the closer we get to that spring training line without a new deal, the more likely it is that this lockout could cause the missing of, you know, the the spring training games, early season games, and eventually stretching into potentially regular season games. And so during that window, while this is going on, if you know a baseball fan, this is definitely a spot I think that can be a good place to, you know, get that sort of discussion about labor issues into a, a realm that they actually have a lot of interest in. And so right. a good place to relate to people and, and flex your labor muscles a little bit during this critical time of the baseball Absolutely. season. So very savvy of the players. Um, speaking of, uh, being savvy reforms. I had a segue <laughs> for this. I swear to gosh, I had a transition, uh, but let's just get into it. The UAW, the United automotive workers, uh, finally overturning an undemocratic delegate system. And this last week they voted 63.6 to 36.4 to switch their method of choosing union leadership from a delegate system to direct democracy. That's what we like to see. I, you know, I've, right. I've, I've grown a lot in my time as a leftist, as an anti-capitalist. But, uh, one thing that has really stuck with me is that in most situations, if you can manage it, Direct democracy, one person, one vote is absolutely the motherfucking way to go. (laughs) Yeah. And especially when you're talking about like what is ostensibly a worker driven organization. Well, yeah, like like a a, union, an organization that is constituted not just predominantly, but literally in its entirety by its membership of the workers, you know, federated together into this union. Yeah. And so, like, this was was big news last week, um, but the the results came in like a little bit too late for us to incorporate into the the, the episode last week. Sure, but so this this comes about after decades of organizing. Like the a lot of the the reporting on this has talked about it in relation to a series of scandals. Uh, and indictments related to a lot of corruption at the top of the UAW where high-level members of the leadership were convicted of various corruption charges starting in, like, I think 2017, but most of the the convictions came down in 2019. Interesting. um, Which included embezzlement of union funds, accepting bribes from companies in order to take more concessionary stances on contracts, basically all of the stuff you absolutely do not want your union leadership doing if you're a worker. And those, that series of charges resulted in a federal consent decree from the DOJ requiring a referendum on this to basically Mm -hmm. be like, you guys have been like completely fucking over the union membership. And honestly, I'm a little surprised that that this is something that the government, you know, would encourage. I'm like, don't you guys like the UAW being a corrupt intransigent union? (laughs) But 
Um, occasionally, you know, you do get these contradictions of them actually doing something decent for once. Right. And, well, I mean, and, I've, there are internal bourgeois contradictions at every level. And like, right. just because like a union and the, the state are typically hand in hand doesn't mean they can't have a spat every once in a while. Of course. But this is interesting, right? Because this, uh, this corruption spurred the development of a rank and file group within the union, uh, called unite all workers for democracy, cleverly keeping the UAW at the yeah. beginning of their acronym there. Uh, and so you have somebody, uh, like Scott Huldison from local 551 in Chicago, uh, who says we've been advocating those things for a long time myself for better than a decade, but guys like UAWD steering committee members, Mike Cannon and Bill Parker for the better part of 40 or 50 years. Most members are not aware of that history. They just know that they have an opportunity in front of them right now to take back their union and they're acting on it, which is interesting because I think a lot of people have like a very simplistic view of like what the politics within a union look like. Uh, and they think they're, they're these uniform things that are either like cool, cooperative rank and file unions or like a terrible, you know, a Linskyist, uh, you know, weird, like, you know, uh, 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 cooperative with the business kind of union. And the fact of the matter is, is it's like if the unions really are constituted by the, the members of the union reflexively, then what you're going to end up with is things landing on a spectrum there. And you have yeah. to constantly fight to establish and reestablish and, and reassert and concretize the rank and file nature of your union, whether through reforms or, you know, whatever other kind of action that might be. Yeah. And so like the reason that this was so important is because like, like, as they're saying, like part of the reason that these guys have had to fight for 40 or 50 years on this is that mm-hmm. the previous system whereby the upper levels of the union leadership were elected by delegates, you know, is the sort of system that you know, reproduces a lot of the same easy corruption that we see within the U.S. political system. Like when when you have this small crust of like, say, electors who are the people who actually get to do the voting. It's much easier for officials who may be chummy with the business and maybe getting, you know, Mm -hmm. some extra money on the side from them to, you know, promise favors for those people and get them into their camp. than it is for them to try and do that. If they have to run a fully democratic campaign across the entire membership. And so like, I think seeing stuff like this, as well as the recent victory of the, the TDU backed reform slate in the Teamsters is, is really showing the growing, you know, displeasure of the union rank and file in some of the biggest unions in the country with after just decades and decades of concessionary business friendly bargaining from these, you know, corrupt union leadership bodies and folks actually fighting to take their unions back. And, and that's, I think a really good sign. And it's like, especially when we can see with the UAW, right? Like there were, already hints of this. Like you could see the conditions leading up to this earlier this year when we had the strikes at Volvo truck. And then just most recently at John Deere, where you had multiple tentative bargaining or tentative agreements that the international union and their bargaining committees were like, Oh, these are great. You should accept these. And the union's like, no, fuck that. (laughs) These are terrible. That really highlighted the way that like you, you could hear so many dissenting voices from within the union during the, the John Deere strike, because like the union was trying really hard to scramble and be like, Hey, you know, we're, we're trying to get you the best contract possible. You just got to trust in this delegate system. You just got to believe us. And I think 
you could hear in the quotes that we went over from the, the John Deere workers themselves. They were like, I don't really know that this whole arrangement is like really getting us what we want or is really functioning as the kind of union, uh, that we want to have here at, at, uh, John Deere, but at, you know, in the UAW more broadly. Yeah. And, and I think it's, it was interesting because, uh, Jonah Furman, who of course, you know, was, was one of the, the best reporters covering the, the John Deere strike mm-hmm. did also provide some extra context for this vote where he pointed out, he he took the the vote tallies for all of the John Deere locals for this election and found that a lot of them had significantly higher than average votes for one member one vote than you saw you know across the the rest of the UAW and and they ended up overall on average having a slightly higher than what the national vote was for they had 68 almost 70% of right. the John Deere workers voting for a more democratic union so like you can we can see the effect of that actual rank and file organizing on, on pushing for these democratic reforms. And there was a quote in here from a deer worker, Nolan tab from local 281, who said, quote, the strike no doubt gave us a unique perspective, the referendum ballots going out right at the top of our strike. And then he said, quote, that the result quote clearly validates the perspective that the rank and file members will no longer just keep it business as usual, neither with the company perpetuating corporate greed, nor the good old boy system that's gone unchecked and unaccounted for in our leadership. End quote. We also saw uh, a lot of support from the higher education wing of the UAW, which is something that we will hopefully uh, have a bit more to discuss about uh, in another episode that will hopefully be coming out later this week. Right. Um, But they had, you know, there's about 20% of the UAW's membership is actually, you know, uh, grad student workers, faculty workers at various colleges around the country. And then they had like locals at the university of California, which voted 84% in favor of one member, one vote. And then a, uh, local 5118, the Harvard grad students union, which voted 97% in favor. So, so the, the academic union wing of the, the UAW came out big in favor of democracy here. Yeah. And, and then, so there was one other thing. This is a lot of this is coming out of a really good, um, labor notes article that I definitely recommend folks check out because there's a bunch of really good history in there. But I think one of the things that we should highlight is that while it was the DOJ consent decree that like forced the union to actually hold this vote there, there was still a ton of organizing that the UAWD had to do to actually, you know, bring out the votes to actually make this victory possible. And so it details in that article how they went about trying to, you know, jump the vote and explained the rank and file, why it was necessary to do this sort of thing. They, they did, you know, your standard stuff. They did flyering. They had text banks. They had phone banks. They, but they also did stuff like they held a week of action in May commemorating the battle of the overpass, which was a big, uh, you know, one of the big, like formative struggles for the UAW uh, between uh, auto workers and, 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 you know, uh, big car company goons in 1937 that eventually led to the unionization of Ford. They, they also held weekly meetings, which were open to all members. They circulated pledges among stuff. They launched a website and, you know, of course, like we have to do for any campaign these days also did a pretty good social media blitz on right. this sort of stuff. 
So yeah, which I think is like what a lot of people think of when they're like, oh, you do an outreach program. It's like, oh, you hire a social media manager and you get someone to like <laughs> right. really snarkily tweet your grievances with the company. And it's like, you really have to do so much more than that. And it's a lot more like direct on the ground organizing. It's cool that they commemorated this battle of the overpass as well, uh, because that's a little piece of labor history that I wasn't particularly familiar with. And just glancing over the Wikipedia, it seems pretty fucking badass. Yeah. And so now with the success of this vote paves the way for the first like really contested union elections in a really long time at UAW's next convention in June. Mm-hmm. And and there was a, a quote in here from a member of local 774 at General Motors Tonawanda engine plant near Buffalo, uh, Ray Jensen, who said, uh, uh, you know, talking about what he's looking forward to trying to push for with this, you know, now democratic election saying, quote, I want someone who's in touch with reality, the wants, the goals, the job, the UAW is fantastic. It's the leadership that's given us a black eye, right? I'd like to see someone in there. Who's a blue collar worker, not necessarily a certified public accountant, like former UAW president, (laughs) Gary Jones, somebody who knows what we need going forward to stay healthy, to earn a decent wage and living and decent retirement benefits. End quote. Hell yeah. I mean, that's a really big deal. And like, uh, that's really the kind of like representation you would want in a union, right? Is like a worker and not someone who's like, Oh, we brought in an outside hire. They're a management specialist or whatever. And it's like management specialists are kind of the assholes we're trying to fight here. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) so yeah, no, absolutely. So, you know, this is just the first step, you know, that, that if they are actually going to clean house, there's going to be a whole long organizing right. process in the six months between now and the convention. But it's a step in the right direction. And, and you know, it'll be exciting to watch as, as we go forward. All right. Well, speaking of exciting, uh, let's talk about a union action at a place that makes something that's pretty exciting. <laughs> Uh, ice cream cakes, which is not a commodity I knew that was industrially, like industrially manufactured in the United States. There are ice cream cake assembly lines, apparently. And, uh, surprise, surprise, where there's an assembly line, there's a labor dispute. So over a hundred members of BCTGM local 37 in Santa Fe Springs, California have been on strike for over a month at the John Donaire desserts plant. So they're demanding better wages, improved retirement benefits and changes to the company's abusive punitive point system which provides workers with only three days of paid sick leave or of sick leave per year it's not even paid um my my speed reading was being optimistic here so these (laughs) workers they make less than 17 dollars an hour uh they are expected to decorate on their decorating line 13 cakes per minute and management has been routinely understaffing them assigning the work of two people to one person and just basically every kind of like tailorized speed up uh you know crunch effort uh including mandatory overtime where you'll be on the schedule for only eight hours and then you will suddenly be working a 12 or 13 hour shift yeah and one of the things that kind of like you were saying i was absolutely not aware before i i read this story um that yeah that so many so much of the the ice cream cake industry right was an industry i i had foolishly assumed that most places that sold ice cream cakes other than maybe supermarkets, right? Like they probably just had their, you know, their in-house bakery do it, but Oh no. I mean, like when uh, I was a kid, I would be a dairy queen, you know, trying to get my chili cheese right. dog. And I would see the guy roll up with his dolly full of boxes and he's loading cakes into the 
freezer ice cream cakes and shit and uh i was always just like oh they sent that from the big dairy queen <laughs> where they make this and i'm like yeah. i don't know that that's actually true anymore <laughs> yeah and because so this plant this uh, the john denaire desserts plant provides cakes for baskin robbins cold stone creamery walmart safeway and and a bunch of other u.s companies so this is really centralized right um and like Lest it be like thought that, oh, well, this, you know, this John Denaire place is, 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 is just like this small shop that's, that's cornered the market on this. Well, they're owned by this Buffalo based company called Rich Products, who are a giant multinational. They employ over 11,000 workers. They make all sorts of stuff. Like they make pizza crust, they make packaged barbecue meat, all, all sorts of different, you know, food products that you, you know, you see in any pretty much supermarket. They had, sales of over $4 billion last year. And yet, despite that, they have been, you know, refusing to negotiate with these workers over an increase of $1 an hour over their $17 an hour pay rate, which again, may sound higher than average for like, you know, uh, food production, but a is still not a living wage almost anywhere in the country, much less where this plant is located, which right. is the Los Angeles area where $17 an hour isn't shit. It isn't shit so, at all, especially not for um, double fisting cake decorating yeah. implements just to barely be able to make the quotas that your bosses have handed down. Yeah. And, and that's the other thing is like, I think this is a perfect, another one of the many perfect examples of you have something being like, I work in a plant that makes ice cream cakes. You say that to somebody and they will probably think, Oh, that's a, that's a basic, that's an unskilled job. Right. But, but as you're pointing out, like they're making, they're decorating 13 cakes a minute. Yeah. I'd be lucky to decorate one cake in a minute. (laughs) Yes, exactly. Like the idea that this is some incredibly easy job that anybody can do and is quote unskilled labor. Right. Like, that is ridiculous. Like the, the folks that are trying to do this, like this is very specialized work and the company is balking over paying them $18 an hour. Yes. Like, and, and giving them more than, you know, three sick days a year. Well, and, and then there's, there's a, there's an extremely gendered element to the way yes. that the workers are treated here as well. Uh, as you hear in this quote from Miguel Angel Perez, a worker in the plants warehouse who says there are a lot of people here that have been mistreated. As you can tell, 80% of the workers here are female management doesn't seem to understand that it's a people driven company and the women workers are the ones who have been treated the worst when workers want days off or they have doctor appointments or they have babysitting issues the bosses don't care about that what management wants is just someone that'll be here at work and if they leave or miss a day management will give them a half a point or a point and once you get to seven points here they fire you and like that's disgusting uh because of the way that it's gendered and because of the way that like it intrudes on people's abilities to just live their lives get things like childcare. but it's also disgusting to me particularly because it's got a vile little point system the ugly yeah. little goblin of like man managerial discrimination which is just like okay we've set up this system that has obvious rules here's how you get points here's what we are required to do based on the system when you get so many points and then like the way that the points are actually handed out in practice is just like completely at the whims of the you know three people five people qualified to hand them out yeah it's it's this attempt as so many metrics are 
Because that's the thing. You see so many of these like yes. implemented disciplinary metrics being like, no, we're just we're just rationalizing the system. It's we're, it's detached. It's so that it, we can run this everywhere the same. We're just yep. making it objective. When in fact, it's like the way they're coming up with these sorts of systems is just as capricious sure. as any other sort of disciplinary structure. There's no reason why if a worker has to take a couple extra days off because they're sick or whatever, that, that therefore, you know, here's this econ 101 chart that shows why they must be fired or the company will implode. Yeah, like we're, it's, we're not it's racist purely arbitrary. Or, we're not racist or misogynist. We've just made a r- racist and or misogynist algorithm or a right. binder with some rules in it. Uh, and it told us what we have to do. And I'm sorry, but we're just bound to follow it uh, based <laughs> exactly. on the rules that we wrote down in it. So, <laughs> you know, hands yeah. are tied. No, exactly. And like essentially every single, I I think that's actually how Mormonism got started. If I'm not mistaken, (laughs) (laughs) it might be, I don't know. Um, But like, but like almost every single one of these BC TGM strikes that we've seen this year, and there have been a bunch, uh, there's also the issue of mandatory overtime where, you know, workers will be scheduled for eight hours, a normal shift, and then they'll be forced to work 12 to 14, which is already, you know, that's incredibly oppressive on its own. But when you've got this system that says that if you have to leave work for any reason, and if you have kids and they're trying to work you 12 to 14 hours a day, and then you leave an hour quote unquote early Early, because you, only did 11 hours and they start docking you points it's just set up to fuck people over and create high turnover so that you don't have to pay people yes absolutely and and so so these folks have been on strike for about a month and the company of course has attempted to hire scabs but uh, you know part of why we were pointing out that this is skilled labor it's like good luck finding somebody on the street who can decorate 13 ice cream cakes in a minute (laughs) and Just as importantly, the entire cleaning staff of the facility is a part of this strike unit, and they're they're all out on the picket line, too, which means they don't have anybody experienced in cleaning any of this machinery, and workers have reported the company having to scrap multiple entire pallets of ice cream cakes because the lines that they were being produced on were not properly cleaned. And so (laughs) they were getting out these like scummy, like contaminated cakes. God, solidarity wins again, right? Like this is why you cannot let industries like break you up into little different working groups. We see this, especially with like hospitals and schools where cafeteria custodial, all of these like auxiliary, you know, categorizations of work are not included in any of the bargaining agreements. And it's like, if you, have the people who pick up the trash and clean the machines and know how to use the chemicals and you know are here at night making sure the facility is even fucking usable while you sleep in your bed if you get them in your your strike group your bargaining unit whatever like <laughs> you are going to have a much easier fucking time twisting the arm of your bosses yeah absolutely and so the in addition to attempting to replace the workers and and you know doing all the same media blitz of, mm-hmm. of trying to paint these workers as greedy although it's like they're asking for a dollar an hour to make 18 dollars an hour in the still, los angeles area still not a fucking living wage in la no and but so in addition to all that they've also done the incredibly petty maneuver of several times when the workers have been out on the picket line, turning on their sprinkler systems to try and spray the the picket lines with water. It's just like, 
okay, guys. That's some <laughs> like, elementary school shit. Like, yeah. or, or I don't even know what to call that. That's just like a level of pettiness that uh, I, I can't even hardly conceive of. It's like, oh, turn off the heated sidewalks so their feet <laughs> <Yeah>. get cold. <laughs> like, wh- yeah. what are you doing? Yeah, it's so that so this company sucks, but. Thankfully, the the workers there have been getting uh, some solidarity from local union members. They've gotten food donations. They held a rally that a bunch of local unions attended to show support. And they are asking that, you know, folks in the area. So if you happen to live in the L.A. area and are anywhere near, uh, again, this plant is specifically in Santa Fe Springs. They are asking for folks, if you live in the area, to stop by the picket line, show your support. And there is uh, they're also asking for a boycott right now of anything made by rich products. So if you see that label or the John Denaire label, don't buy it. Um, and in addition, there is a worker strike fund. So I will put that in the show notes. Oh yeah. Love a strike fund of this episode. That's, that's the real magic right there. I mean, people are always asking like, you know, what can I do to help? I don't feel like I'm particularly involved. Should I join a party? Should I join this? Should I join that? It's like, yes, yes. And yes, there are plenty of other things you can do, but donating to worker strike funds who are out there fighting the nitty gritty fights of the class war on the, you know, in America today, like that's, that's something you can do right now. That's probably not even going to cost you that much. Uh, and really does go a long way. Speaking of a little thing you can do that might go a long way, we want to talk about something that's been a bit perplexing. I've seen this come across my social media feed a few times already. Um, Hacked receipt printers printing out an anti-work manifesto. Uh, (laughs) I didn't have a lot of time to brush up on on the details here. So, Dan, what exactly is going on with this? (laughs) Yeah, so uh, I'm going to be honest. Like, I'm going to preface this with this could a hundred percent be like a weird Reddit hoax. Sure. Seems 50, so, 50 right off the bat. So I, I apologize if it ends up being that and I end up getting fooled by this, but it was an interesting enough story. I still thought it was worth talking about Absolutely. where basically the, the claim ostensibly what is happening in this story and who knows if it is or if it isn't, but I'm just going to, it'll be easier if we just go through it as if it's, it's all above board. What is supposedly happening is that some rather clever people have noticed that a lot of the receipt printers that you use at pretty much any retail job Mm -hmm. are networked to the internet and they're hooked up to a completely insecure port. And so which makes it relatively easy for people who know what they're doing to connect to those printers. And what this is coming out with is that there have been reports all over Twitter and, and Reddit uh, and uh, apologies for bringing Reddit into our, you know, good Christian uh, <laughs> podcast. Minecraft server. Uh, exactly. <laughs> but um, like all of this is coming out with these, all these screenshots. And I went and looked at them like the, the, the receipts are, are real enough. Of right. Basically hackers forcing these receipt printers to print out messages to workers, basically telling them to stop accepting, you know, sub poverty wages and to talk to their coworkers about how much they're getting paid and to fight for higher wages. Right. So this is, and then they're, they're professing an anti-work philosophy that does seem to be centralized around a subreddit. Yeah. R dash anti-work, which I have not checked out. Um, I'm very sympathetic to the concept of being anti-work. I think it's a really useful rhetorical tool. It dovetails nicely with my like weird fixation with Max Sterner, but I, I wonder, is there something that's not kind of like weirdly not 
like fully class conscious about this because yeah. I've seen a few different memes that have been produced by this uh, political current. And uh, some of them have been like, just kind of let's pick a date. And if you work for McDonald's or Starbucks or Target or whatever, um, that's the day that you all you all don't come into work. And it's a bit naive, I think, that a niche internet movement, not that it hasn't, not that niche internet movements haven't done insane things before, but that this one would have the legs to be like, all right, we're going to take on McDonald's on December 27th, which is only a month, not even away, you know? Yeah, there's there's a, a lot of the same energy, I feel like, associated the, with this as when we see the annual rounds of the, we're going to do a general strike on this day, guys. Right. We're just going to sign up on a Facebook group and we're all going to do it. No work November. Um, yeah, no, exactly. Whatever. But yeah. Like that, with all the caveats in the world, like the fact that nobody should ever use Reddit because it's a, you know, cesspool, it's a hive of scum and villainy. But <laughs> like that being said, this does seem the heart seems to be in the right place on this right. because like these, these receipt pronouns are saying stuff like, are you being underpaid? And you have a protected legal right to discuss your pay with your coworkers. Poverty wages only exist because people are willing to work for them. And there it's also exhorting people to join this quote unquote movement. Right. Uh, I, well, it's a, it's a bit like, um, it's diagnostic, right? It's a lot of yelling yes. at the workers. Like these are the symptoms, you know, this is the, this, these are the symptoms and this is the root of the problem, but it's not really proposing like a concrete program. It's not saying no. like, Hey, you're underpaid. This is how you get more money. It's saying, Hey, you're underpaid. Become invested in this weird internet political philosophy, which is fine for people like me who love getting invested in weird internet political philosophies. <laughs> yes. But I don't think this is messaging is going to land with the vast majority of workers. It's just going to make them like act a bit puzzled and say like what the fuck is going on yeah i i think so while i appreciate the energy with this there's one huge glaring like thing missing from all of these messages because I, like the stuff it's like you are being underpaid yes absolutely correct right you should talk with your coworkers about how much you're being paid and if somebody's you know doing the same job as you and you're getting paid less you should demand a raise yes absolutely very much true my big question for all this is why does none of the messaging then not take the logical step of talk to your coworkers about your salaries and form a union, form a union in order right. to fight for them. Because it's the what's what's what is so glaringly missing to me from all of this. As you said, it, it's it it's it is extremely diagnostic. It's it, it's like this is a thing that is bad, but it has no prescription for how is that solved because it's completely det det like detached from any sort of real collective organizing beyond posting on Reddit about like how shitty your job is, which is, you know, fine and good and understandable. Mm -hmm. But, and, and that's where I think, you know, places like uh street fight radio are a really great jumping off point Absolutely. because they take, they take that connection. They, they go from bringing people on to complain about how much their job sucks to going into, and maybe that's why you should talk to the IWW right, right. or like your local DSA or just talk to your coworkers about starting a union. Well, and that's, that's what's really great about something like street fight radio exactly is, um, it shares the first two steps, uh, with what this is doing. And this has great street fight energy, the receipt thing, like on its own, like if you can go like and sneak some like pro union literature, like especially at like a place like Starbucks that is f facing down right. like a growing unionization campaign. I think that's a really good idea. Um, but like the, the, the receipt thing and the anti-work movement 
do the first two steps of like, do you hate your job? Here are the political reasons why street fight is doing that. But then when street fight takes it back into the real, they, they prescribe like right. action in the real world. And I think this is, um, well, not to be too pessimistic, but it does represent a bit of an individualistic retreat into yes. being like, oh, okay, if I can't get better wages here, maybe I just like fucking quit my job and I go try to find a better job, which like no shade on anybody who does that as a good and right thing to do. But like there, if you really want to fix the conditions in a workplace, that's not how you fucking do it. If you leave, they're just going to stay the same. Right. Yeah, no, exactly. It's, it's yeah. And, it, and it's not surprising that like this sort of, like organic spontaneous uh sort of action would have that sort of you know individualist bent to it because sure. that's the that's what gets shoved down all our throats from the ideology machine every day yeah that's with, america you know, baby well and that's the crazy thing about um not just individualism but the particular vulgar poison especially poison type of individualism that americans are so fond of is that it's not sigma just like grind set sigma sigma grind set sigma grind set but it's just uh it's not it's not just like um, proselytized to us. It's not just preached at us. It is also uh, baked into our culture. Like the, yeah. the, the way that we portray any kind of narratives uh, like in film and television uh, very largely follow this arc of just like, it's really, really important to just get yours at all costs. <laughs> right. Exactly. And it's funny because I did go on, like, look at a couple of the Reddit posts that were linked in the, cause this is all coming out of a, a, a motherboard article on vice. Sure. Um, and it was funny to see some of the, the, the way people were reacting to these posts because it was entirely on, and it was, I mean, it was a little sad and that's why I wanted to talk about it sure. was because every response was, yeah, my job sucks. We should do this all walk out on one day thing. And I'm like, you come on. Next step, talk to each other right. about like, and that's, that's why I wanted to bring it up because like, if you know, because this sort of thing, this sort of, it's, it's, it's essentially the, it's ideologically petty bourgeois anti-capitalism. This idea that like each individual should be fighting for their own right to property and their own right to be a small producer. And that sort of thing is where a lot of this stuff comes from because that's what so much of our culture is based on. But like so you, even if you, you know, don't work in a place that has an insecure receipt printer that gets hacked and right. starts printing out this anti-work stuff, you'll encounter this sort of stuff all the time with people who, cause you know, we talk about it all the time. It's so like workers aren't stupid workers. Everybody like knows they're underpaid. They know their boss is a prick who is, you know, getting paid way more than they should for mm -hmm. not doing any work. And so it's not hard to, to realize, man, this is fucked. We should, we, we should get paid better. And so like, when you encounter this sort of stuff, it's so vital to then be like, yeah, you're totally right. Totally agree. That's why we need to do this, you know, this collective organizing, why we need to like band together and actually do the long, hard, difficult work of trying to form the, uh, the sort of body that can actually enforce permanent changes. Because like, you know, how many times have we seen where non-unionized workplaces will do a protest or a walkout and they may even get some sort of a small temporary concession, but without the, the union there, without that organized collective body that everyone's involved in any sort of concession like that, even if you get it, which is like, that's, that's rare in and of itself. If you don't have that union, like there's nothing preventing them from just firing people over, you know, a period of time and then rolling it all back. And so yep. I think like, it's really vital that when we see this sort of like 
individualist, spontaneous, like sort of organic upswell of an understanding that oppression exists and a vague understanding of where it's coming from. That's where we got to step in and be like, Hey man, totally agree. Now let's start talking about unions. (laughs) Yep. Exactly. Exactly. Well, I mean, uh, speaking of turning something that's not perfect into a springboard of, for something that can be better, uh, let's get into the meme review. I guess. <laughs> is that is that a real this, transition? This is the big segue episode. This is the big segue. This is the this John is, reaches really hard for well, his segues episode. This is what happens when we don't have Lena. That's true. <laughs> yeah, when we don't have somebody to just kind of like ground the whole thing in reality. Um, but we have the, what are these bird memes? We've done this pinkwug dot live. We've done a couple of these so far now. Yeah, I don't know. I like so that's the thing. They're cute. I, I like them. I've never actually gone to Pinkwug, like their their website or whatever. I've I've been exposed to them purely via like a few like Lena and a couple of our listeners like posting these really dope uh, like comics that they do with the pink and blue birds, like talking about <laughs> workplace issues. So I don't know entirely like, you know, oh, what yeah. their specific orientation is. So but. I th- I thought that this was probably a comic that a communist or two really liked and was editing to be cooler than it is. Um, but like, I just went back a couple of weeks and the one that we covered where it says the problem with capitalism is that you eventually run out of other people's labor is the original unedited comic right here on the yeah, website. Yeah, yeah. So shouts to pink Wug. I, I, I underestimated you, my friend. Yeah, no, they're dope. So yeah, this one is, is another three panel bird comic. We've got, you know, a little, little, uh, board up in this, this workplace where you've got your blue bird with his top hat on the boss bird. He just put up a little hiring sign and he says he says he's frowning he's like entitlement is ruining the economy and so the next panel you've got the pink worker bird who's like oh hiring urgent i need a job okay uh and, he, and then the the last panel is he, he gets close enough to the board to read it and it's uh, and it says entry-level job no off hours we're a family minimum wage have 20 years of experience and PhD preferred. And then in parentheses and required and required. And, yeah. and then the bird in response to the, you know, the first bird saying entitlements during the economy just says agreed. Yep. And like, <laughs> I think this just is such a good reflection of like, again, like that, that form of bourgeois projection where, where like, I mean, how many memes have we looked at this in where, you know, the, the, like the, the burger flipping one where the guy's like, Oh, you don't want to take minimum wage for flipping burgers. Well, then they're just going to replace you with machines. And then the next panel is the guy being like, how do you work this chaos? (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. Uh, we got to hit our teenage stepdad quota. So we got one in here where it's just a a wrestler holding a snake. Am I describing this right? Uh, And it says big, big mullet, big mullet on this guy. (laughs) We're talking a big chungus. And he says, remember kids, endless capitalist growth means ecological collapse, a punk rock stepdad PSA. Uh, it's true folks. It's just a hundred percent true. <laughs> it's important to understand that because like what that's how you, you know, explain to the weirdos who think that Elon Musk is going to save anything that like, no bro, like switching from oil to lithium. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that, that's not going to solve anything. The, it, like the, they call it like the whole ecosphere is still going to fucking collapse. If you keep on this infinite growth model. Right. But we do have a use for Elon Musk. Uh, as that's for right. Our next <laughs> meme where it says when billionaires finally become useful and then you just have Ricky from trailer park boys who's saying, Holy fuck. That's good. Pepperoni. <laughs> <laughs> 
Yeah, I love this one. Like, uh, what is it like? Getting learnt philosophy. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, is is the Facebook group where like a lot of these come from? But that's the thing, folks. It's like they're you know billionaires not really contributing much to human society, but that's why we got to start thinking out of the box. Potentially a good source <laughs> of protein. That's right. Well, speaking of bodily harm, uh, we have an onion. <laughs> Uh, tweet, which the onion is incredibly hit or miss, but this one rocks. It says Starbucks dangles tied up union organizers over vat of steamed milk. Uh, And then they just have a mock up of it. (laughs) Yeah. Like I love that. It's, it's like this scene where like two face gets created in Batman, (laughs) where there's just, just this gigantic industrial vat of like boiling milk with the Starbucks logo on it with a catwalk. And then like you've got this bond style thing where you just guys like tied up from a crane, but like this one, I just appreciated because this is really the only way that Starbucks's anti-union campaign could somehow get more aggressive. Right. Cause like, all the shit they've been doing, all they've got left if they want to escalate is this insane, like, you know, James Bond bullshit. It's physical <laughs> violence. Yeah. Which I don't think Starbucks will ever do just because Starbucks is Starbucks and they always act like that's, you know, beneath them or whatever. But I bet like on the slide, they generate so much physical violence around the world. I mean, oh. it's the fucking coffee industry. Let's be real. So, well, it's like every progressive facing institution. They'll just use the, they'll just outsource the violence right. to the state. Exactly. Exactly. So like, that's what the cops are for. (laughs) And then we have an old school, like 1950s style ad, uh, with the husband and wife, um, holding up their union card and, uh, standing in front of some Christmas gifts that say decent wages, old age pensions, better working conditions and shorter hours. And they are just saying that card makes it possible for us to have the best Christmas in the world. And this isn't even funny at all. This is just a nice image. <laughs> yeah. I, I wanted to put this one at the end. Cause yeah, it's like, it's not technically a meme. It's, it's an old comic from probably back in the thirties, right, right. but like, I don't know. Sometimes this stuff is ju- is fine if it's just straightforward because it's like, yeah, there's no clever bit here. There's no, you know, scathing uh, attack on anything. It's just like, yeah, like the only way you get that stuff is through collective struggle. That's like right. we all want better wages. We all want pensions. We all want shorter hours. And, and, and you know, while there's, a, you know, some limits to the trade union struggle, that's why we're, you know, communists on the show. But mm-hmm. like uh, the, the only way we're ever going to get those stuff under capitalism is, is, is through unionization. And so like, that's why it's, it's so important to remember that. And, and sometimes, you know, you'll have your family members who may be a little older and may not necessarily be as responsive to, you know, dank heady memes (laughs) as you know some of the the younger folks and so you can hit them with the the wholesome old comics like this that's right well uh go out there and hit the older folks with the wholesome comics like this (laughs) uh donate to a strike fund if you can and don't forget to uh toss us a dollar if that's possible after donating to those strike funds we are entirely listener supported lena usually does this part i did this part at the top of the episode it feels weird to do it twice uh (laughs) thank you so much (laughs) to the patreon supporters get in the discord if you're not in there leave us a five-star review and labor peace is not in our interest solidarity forever Solidarity, everybody. (laughs) Bye.
coffee mug with my with my name right on it in big bold letters so everyone knows it's mine don't even touch it cuz cuz it doesn't belong to you and i'm watching you so don't Paper. Where's my liquid paper? I, I'm coming out. 